Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we have a, a very a special guest with us, and I'm so excited. Our first service was tremendous. Uh, he has brought a, a word from God that I think will encourage you, and it's going to help so, so many people today. Um, and Rob Devaney, Pastor Rob Devaney, is with us today, and, and let me say a couple of things about him. Number one, he serves as the executive pastor at Twin Rivers Worship Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, that church, you've heard about that church a lot because one of my best friends in the world pastors that church. His name is Joe Dobbins. Uh, wonderful church. They are doing uh, so many awesome things. And God, people are being saved and discipled, and they got tons of small groups and, and, and seeing people baptized and outreach. He was telling me about an outreach event that they did yesterday where they gave Christmas to over 500 families uh, can we just give God a praise for that? Isn't that awesome? Just They're doing some amazing things. Um, and so Pastor Rob Devaney, he serves um, with Pastor Joe Dobbins there as the executive pastor. Uh, so I know a couple of things. It's a large church, and he works for Pastor Joe. I know that his job is extremely stressful. Uh, and he is doing a wonderful job, comes highly recommended uh, to us from Pastor Joe, and I'm just excited to have him here. So I'm going to ask that you guys do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet? The Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due, and let's give a big welcome and a God bless you to Pastor Rob Devaney as he comes to share God's Word with us today. Thanks, Pastor Chad. Oh, how awesome. To be here with you. So I, I absolutely, we, we stay standing and do you love your pastor? He is just a great, great guy who loves God. Um, I, I truly am honored to work uh, at, at Twin Rivers. You can be seated. Um, uh, uh, truly honored to work at Twin Rivers with Pastor Joe, and I hear so much about Bethesda Church when I'm there and hear what God is doing here and the vision that uh, Pastor Chad and Pastor Joe share, they truly are great friends, is so uh, so uh, unique and it is very anointed and it's, it's driving our church forward, it's driving your church to great places, I know that. So I kind of feel like I'm home because there's so many similarities, so I, I'm just really honored to be with you for the first time. Um, I want to start out with a little bit of a confession, okay? Um, I've been married for 16 years, and my wife has been telling me for 16 years uh, something that, that I just have not agreed with her. I just totally disagree, okay? And, and she has said that I have selective hearing, okay? So I already get some amens. Some ladies in the house maybe have said, had that conversation with someone before, possibly your husband, I don't know. So, but here's my confession, and she's not here so I can confess this. I think she might be right, <laughs> because um, I, I just don't believe her, right? She tells me things, and we, she, blames, she first blamed it on me being deaf. She said I was going deaf, and honestly, I'm too young for that, so I just kind of rebuked that in the name of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You know, that's, what, that's my nickname for her. No, I'm just kidding. That's not really. Just kidding. I call her 
Yes, dear. What would you like, dear? That's what I, no. She's wonderful, and and but she does. She's honest with me, and she says, you know, you don't really hear everything I say, and you you don't you don't know it. I've told you, but you don't know. You don't grasp it. And so here's why I think she might be right, because I also have a teenage daughter, and she was standing in the kitchen the other day, and she told me something four times, and four times I answered her completely wrong, and I was looking at her. I was. I was trying really, really hard to hear what she was saying. But I mean, I, my phone was dinging, you know, and I was trying to get a glass of Diet Coke or whatever I was doing. And finally she stopped and she said, Dad, you are not listening to me. And I just looked at, I just dumbfounded. You know, that look that guys give when they just don't know what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And she just rolled her eyes and I knew I was in trouble after that. But here, here's what struck me. Maybe I have selective hearing. Maybe there are things that are said to me that I just don't get. I, I hear it, but I don't grasp it, right? And so um, it got me wondering how much I have actually missed. Like things that people have said to me that are important that I might have heard let go in one ear and out the other because for some reason, I just it doesn't stick. And I've heard over and over again some things. And being in the church for a while, you'll hear those kinds of things. I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church and I heard a phrase over and over again that I honestly believe a lot of times we hear, but we don't fully grasp what it means. And that phrase is, God loves you. I mean, you've heard it, right? I mean, most of you have probably heard it. If you, you've been here today, you've probably heard it in a song. You've seen it on a bumper sticker. You've heard a message. I've heard it multiple. I've preached it many times, right? God loves you. It's a common thing. But here's, here's what I really believe about that statement. It is probably one of the most overstated yet underrealized phrases that ever existed. Every person's heard it. But I really believe that a lot of us live as if we have never heard that God loves us. We live it that way because we haven't truly got it into our system. And this is no small problem in your faith because the reality is if your understanding of God's love is wrong, your faith can never be right. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't fully understand that God loves you, you will choose religion over relationship. So you'll choose the religion side of faith, which means there are things you can do and things you can't do. You'll, you have a do list and a don't list and you check off all the boxes, right? But you don't go for the deeper, which is a true relationship with Jesus. And if you don't understand that God loves you, you would go after those tangible things about your faith, but never really truly know the love that Jesus has. Here, here's another thing that will happen. You'll struggle to believe the promises that God has for you. And here's why, because the promises that are in God's word, while they're great promises, the power is not in what they are as much as the person who is offering the promise to you. It's the power is in the promiser, not the promise, right? So you'll struggle to believe what the word says God has for you if you don't fully understand that God loves you. you here's one of the worst things. You will try and earn but God has already provided for you for free. 
So you'll fill your life with good works and status, moral things that you think other people notice. You think that God is noticing to try and earn his approval. And the reality is he provided grace and love for you and I when we didn't deserve it for completely no cost at all. He doesn't require that out of you. But if you don't understand that God loves you, you don't grasp what he's given you, you will spend your life, waste your life really, trying to earn the approval of Jesus. The major problem here is that we really don't understand love. I mean, just this week, I referred to my wife, I love you, and my four children, I love you, and macaroni and cheese, I love you, <laughs> right? And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't want it to sound like I, I, I have a deep love for macaroni and cheese. I, I really do. And my wife and children. I mean, I do that too. But they're not the same emotion, right? But yet we use the same word, don't we? We say that about things all the time. And I think it is we don't fully understand love because our love is very different than God's love. Because our love, my love, I'll just talk about me for a second, is pretty much based on performance, right? I mean, uh, you know, if, if I think that I project this on God, I do the right thing, God loves me. I do the wrong thing, he loves me not, right? I, 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 I work really, really hard. I put in a week of hard work in ministry and there's great results and I'm tired. I think, oh man, God must love me so much. He's so proud of me. And then, and then I slack off and drop a ball or do something the wrong way or make a huge mistake. And I think, oh, God must really not love me anymore, right? If I mess up, God loves me not. I, I read my Bible reading plan three days in a row. God loves me. You know that little app? Have you ever tried that on the phone? And it reminds you, you haven't read. I'm like, no, yes, I have. Three days in a row. But when I'm 187 days behind and I have just ignored, the phone is literally saying, why don't you read your Bible? He loves me not. I project my love on problems on God. See, my love is circumstantial. It's based on circumstances, but God's love is central to who he is. 1 John 4, 8 literally says this, that God is love, meaning that as much as I am Rob, God is love. And for God, love has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with who he is. You know, you could even try to make God stop loving you, but he won't. Because his love is based on who he is and not who you are. When I was a teenager, I, I knew I was called to ministry at 14. I, I was really trying to be what God had called me to be, and I was dedicated to it. And, and I spent a, a lot of energy trying to, to earn the right to be called by God. And it actually drove me to depression. I was really overwhelmed and depressed because I kept messing up. And like Paul says in Romans, I would do the things I don't want to do and struggle to do the right things. And, and I was really struggling with my own weaknesses in my own humanity. And it got to the place where I was so discouraged and somebody who loved me really poured some truth into my life. And this is what they looked at me one day. I was about 16 years old and they said, listen, you're never going to be good enough for God to love you. So quit trying. And immediately I felt like a sucker punch because I realized striving, trying to earn God's love was a waste of my time. And I could just accept God's love. 
I could quit striving and start accepting. Now, here's the truth. You can hear me say this today. You can hear it. But if you don't truly experience it, it's not going to make any difference. If you don't let it sink in, if you don't really grasp the fact that God loves you, it, it won't change anything about your life. I remember uh, recently, we, about a year ago, we prayed for a key team member of mine. It was on my team, faithful lady. Her and her husband came up for prayer to me and my wife, Jen, and we were standing at the altar, and she came up for prayer, and she, you could just see her countenance was just, she was in a dark place, and, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong, and she wasn't sick, and she didn't have marriage problems, and it wasn't her finances, and it wasn't anything like that. And she couldn't even put into words what had overcome her. And so I began to pray and I didn't know what direction to go. And I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to ask her a question. So I said, how is your faith? How's your, that's a pretty generic question. But, you know, how are you, how are you believing? Basically, are you trusting God? And she dropped her head. Pastor Chad, she was so overwhelmed in that moment. And she said to me, I just keep failing and I know God is disappointed in me. And I just wish I knew that he loved me. And right there, I prayed with this seasoned Christian, this person who had given so much to so many people in the church, who had sacrificed so much for others. I, I prayed for her to understand and realize and experience the love of God. I, I knew that she really needed to experience what I had experienced, that she had to receive God's love because her struggle would continue. It would continue to overtake her. There was nothing tangibly wrong except for that she didn't have a grasp on God's love. And I wonder if that's where some of you are today. You know, life is difficult and maybe your faith is difficult and coming to church has been like a checkbox. I want to get this done, but it's not really a life-giving part of your week. And you, you go to a great church, so you feel good for a few hours, but you know, you go home afterward and, 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 and just not getting out of it what life-giving that everybody else seems to be getting out of it. What you need is not to hear that God loves you. What you need is to really, truly experience it. You need someone to help you. And I think the Bible's given us the perfect person. And that's the Apostle John. So John was one of the 12 disciples. And the Bible tells us that he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He was one of three who were really, really close to Jesus. And uh, he was an early church leader after Jesus went uh, back to heaven. And he wrote a lot of books in the, uh, in the Bible called, the first one's called John which is a good name for that book. And then, then he wrote a series of books called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he was really, really creative in his titles and, and all that. But he also wrote Revelation. So John, John writes a lot in the New Testament. I mean, second only to Paul, who uh, you know, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was like this really well-known apostle. So, so John knows faith, and, and, and this is some of his work. Listen to what he says. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You've probably heard that, but what a powerful statement that is. Greater love. There's no other love than when you would give yourself for someone else. John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you. This is Jesus talking. John is portraying this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So John is talking about a, a defining characteristic of, of our church, of, of who we are as believers. They'll know that we've been with Jesus if we love one another. 
There's an obscure one that he wrote. You've probably never heard of it before. John 3, 16. Listen to what it says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Maybe one of the most interesting things John does in his books is the way that he refers to himself. Okay, he, he, um, he calls himself a name. He actually says um, six times in his gospel, he writes, um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disi- that's how he refers to himself. So, you know, I refer to myself in the third person to my children. Maybe you do this. And I'll, I'll, I'll walk in the room, I was like, listen, dad is going to be very upset <laughs> if you don't change your attitude right now. I'm gonna call him and I'm gonna tell him. I'm serious. It frustrates my kids. They're like, dad, stop talking like that. Right, so they, they get really frustrated at me. Um, but I mean, can you imagine hanging around with John? He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loves. He says in John 21, seven, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. He couldn't say me, right? He had to say that. I mean, let's pause for a second and ask this very serious question in everyone's mind. Who does that? I mean, just imagine for a second, you know, I decided, we went out to lunch after church, right? And I went with Pastor Chad and I went with Pastor Sam and we went out and, and afterward I got on Facebook, right? And I posted, great lunch, amazing time, macaroni and cheese to die for, right? Pastor Chad, Pastor Sam, and pa- the pastor whom Jesus loves was, just had an amazing time. You would be like, that guy is so egocentric. Don't ever have him back. I mean, because that's so weird, right? I mean, other people wrote gospels. Other people were close to Jesus. John was one of three very close. You never hear Peter referring to himself that way. Well, we do hear Peter talking about himself quite a bit, but we don't hear him talking in this way. Why is it that John said this? Does he believe that Jesus loved him more than the other disciples? Does he think that he's better than them? Or could it be that John truly experienced what others just heard? That he truly experienced the love of God in his life. Listen, here's what I really believe. That when you experience the love of God, it changes your identity. It changes everything about you. When you know that God loves you, it changes how you would refer to yourself. John was so committed to the love of Jesus and letting everyone know how available it was that he was not going to be defined by anything else. He was so committed that that's what he led with. When you met John, you found out something about him that shaped his whole identity is that he was loved by Jesus and he was loved by God so much that it changed everything about him. It changed the way he viewed himself. And listen, this is what truly the world is looking for in believers, when people encounter you, that your encounter with Jesus, the love that he has for you has been so transformational that, that that's what you lead with. You don't walk on eggshells around the office or sit at Christmas time across from the in-laws and try to hide your passion or your relationship with Jesus just because they think you might be a little weird. This is what we should lead with. And this is what John said. It changed his whole identity. And I believe if John were here and we would ask him about God's love, he would say there are three things that we need to know about God's love. So I wanna share those three things with you this morning. The first is this. God's love is communicated by the cross. God's love is communicated by the cross. If you were to ask uh, most Christians to define love, 
they would tell you what they probably heard from 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter, right? And that's what Paul wrote about love. And he said, love is patient, love is kind, love it doesn't envy, it's not self-serving. You know, you've heard that at weddings, right? How many of you heard that at weddings? As if we believe that's what marriage is really like, right? Just kidding. I'm really not trying to be negative on marriage. I truly love my, my wife in marriage. I'm portraying an image here I didn't intend, but anyway. Um, but this is not the definition that John gives. You know, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. This is what John writes as the truest, I believe, truest definition of love. Listen, in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. This is how John defines true love. And, and I really believe you cannot comprehend love without looking at the cross. Now, we see the cross all the time. It's on our churches. People wear it on jewelry, right? It's on bumper stickers. We see the cross all the time. You drive. There's, a, there's places on the interstate I'm driving, and there's massive crosses. I see the cross, and, and what I have come to realize is that I see the cross so often, I, I, I many times don't think of what it really means when I look at the cross, like I've lost a little bit of the, the wonder, the, uh, there's a song that says that, of the cross where it, where it really takes me back to what it means. Here's, here's, what Paul, here's what John experienced. Do you know that he was only, only one of 12 disciples that went to the cross with Jesus? He's the only one who, that, who went all the way to the cross and stood there as Jesus gave his life. When, the, when, when Jesus was arrested, fear struck the disciples and they were overwhelmed and they scattered. Matter of fact, Peter went and denied even knowing Jesus, but John followed him, followed him all the way to the foot of the cross and stood there. And, and why is it that Matthew doesn't write about love in his gospel? Why is it that Peter doesn't write about love like, like John does? Why is it that John could fill up page after page in chapter after chapter talking about the trueness of God's love? And I believe it was because they weren't at the cross and he was. Anytime we question God's love for us, we, we simply need to look at the cross. Here's, here's what's amazing about it. God sent his son to die at the worst possible moment in history. The most brutal moment in our history, the most brutal culture, as far as punishing criminals and death, was the Roman Empire. And God sent his son, he could have sent Jesus now. And after a publicized trial on court TV, or whatever, the, you know, CNN, or, and Jesus probably could have got a book deal if he really wanted one. There would have been something on Netflix in six or eight months afterward. I mean, think about it, right? And he probably wouldn't have appealed because Jesus gave his life freely. But Peter, you know, Peter would have been out there being like, this isn't right, and getting a protest and a petition and getting a talk show out of it because that's how Peter was. And, and, and I mean, you just think about this. He could have come and after the appeals failed, they, if he had made it to death row, they would have, he would have died by lethal injection, right? I mean, but this is not the environment or the culture that God sent Jesus. He could have sent him today but he sent him at the most brutal moment in history. Let me tell you what Jesus experienced. And this is shocking to me, but I just, I wanna share it with you this morning. Crucifixion started at a whipping post and he was tied to a whipping post where he could not move. 
And they whipped him with what they call the cat of nine tails. Had nine branches of leather on it. And on that leather was glass and bone and rock. And they would dip it in water so that it had weight to it. So brutal was this that Roman law said, even the Romans said, you cannot whip someone 40 times because they'll surely die. And Jesus took 39. And every time they would lash out to him and it would land on his back, when they would recoil it, it came with flesh and muscle every single time. And then after this horrible scene with blood flowing on the ground, they carried him to the locker room of the Roman guard where they mocked him and ridiculed him and spat in his face. This is where they wove the crown of thorns and they forced it on his head, which would drive all the blood in his brain to the center of his brain and cause one of the worst migraines you can imagine. And if that wasn't enough, they, they threw the cross on his shoulder and walked through the winding, narrow, disgusting streets of old Jerusalem with people taunting him and in his way. And he drug it all the way to the hill. And here's what you have to know about crucifixion. They didn't usually use nails. They reserved the spikes for the worst of the worst. And Jesus wasn't laid on the cross. He laid down. Scripture actually records that. And they drove a three to four inch spike in each hand and in both feet. His legs would have been bent because they didn't want him to die of blood loss, which he very well could have. They wanted him to die of suffocation. At that position, his shoulders would be dislocated when he was set upright on the cross. And so his lungs and chest would fall forward and he didn't have the strength to even be able to breathe. So to breathe every single time, he would have to push up on that spike in his feet and drag his broken and open back across the cross wood and take a single breath and then recoil down. And this would have lasted six hours. John stood at his feet this entire time. And what's amazing about this is that's not the most stunning part. Jesus was God in the flesh. He could have spoken one word and ended every single thing he was going through. He could have just thought it and the guards would have fallen dead. The Bible says that he could have called legions of angels down to rescue him and people were begging him to do it. If you're the king of the Jews, why don't you come down off that cross? What? The crazy part is, it's so absurd that he even put up with it. Why? Because he loves us. That's it. The whole reason he went through this, that he died on the very tree he created, it's because he loves us. Love is why Jesus came. Love, the whole point 
of the entire gospel is a love story. Love is what Jesus displayed. Love is what kept him restrained. Listen, his love for you has what's caused him to not give up on you. It's the why. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. He still has grace for you. It's why you are here today. You thought you just came maybe by accident or maybe because this is what your routine is, but God's love has drawn you to the place where you could even hear the truth of who he is. It's his love that brought you here and it's his love that kept him on that cross, not a single nail. Amen? So this is why it's so important that we grasp God's love. John stood at that cross and he realized this is the very symbol. Any definition of love below this pales in comparison to what this truly, truly is. Here's the second thing that John would tell you and I. Love is communicated at the cross and here's the second thing. God's love is constant every day, every day. It never changes. There's never a moment where God gets frustrated with you and walks away. There's never a moment where he says, I need to take a break from them. Everybody else does, right? At some point, we all get frustrated with one another. God never gives up on us. It's constant. John, 1 John 4, 15, listen to what it says. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Listen, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. John knew how important it was that we would rely on God's love because it was a constant. Because our love, so many times we rely on our love for God to get us through our faith. And our love is really bad. I mean, right? If you think about it, it's so inconsistent. Sunday morning... We sing that song like we sang this morning, Overcome, and I, you know, your hands are up, and you're really excited, and you're like, yeah, yeah, God loves me, you know, get excited. And then Monday, you go to work, you're like, crash. Oh, I'm, you know. And then you go to connect group. We call them life groups, but you connect group. I love mine's on Thursday. I get so excited, all these people coming over, and they bring snacks. I mean, that's just the best part. And the kids have to go downstairs. I'm loving that. That's really great. And hanging out with Christian friends. And I'm like, yeah, God loves me. I got all these friends. And then Friday morning, I got to cut the grass and like do this whole list that my wife has for me. And I'm like walking, I had headphones in, so I can't even hear myself. And I'm like, I hate this stupid yard. I hate these kids. I can't, he's inside on Facebook or whatever he's doing. I'm out here. But God's love peaks at the moment you say, the moment you're conceived. And it never wavers. Monday comes, it doesn't matter. You mess up, it never fails. You say the wrong thing. You, You have a great day, it can't go any higher. It goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the way into Sunday. God's love is this constant that stays up there. I mean, just think about our love for a second. How Even our best comparison of love on this planet that we live with, parental love, how it compares to God's love. I mean, you know, you've had, if you have a baby, you know, little baby, they're so cute. They've done nothing wrong. And you're like, I remember my third child, Joshua, he's so sweet. He's still sweet, but I mean, you know, he's a six-year-old boy. So, but I mean, he's this little baby. I'm rocking him. Yes, Jesus loves you. Right, and it's so cute. And then they turn three. You know what I'm talking about? 
And they're throwing a temper tantrum. And you just, you know, he's still working on you. <laughs> These songs we sing over our children. Of course, I did not know anything until I became a parent of a middle schooler. Any parents of middle schoolers here? And uh, that's, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my head. I've literally driven down the highway and me and Carrie, we are just singing at the top of our lungs. Because our song changes, right? Now, I have not made it there yet. My daughter's almost 14. She's not in high school yet, but I've, I've seen those high school parents and even the college parents, right? You know, well, of course, they get a little break, but the high school parents, they walk into church, you see them, and they kind of walk with a limp, don't they? <laughs> They're dragging that baggage of, uh, you know, every th- kid wants money constantly, and all the kids started driving. He ran over the neighbor's cat, and what do you, you know, and have all this problem. And, and they're kind of bent over, and then you see them coming to church, and they're like, swing low, <laughs> sweet chariot. Is that the trumpet? The rapture's come. Oh. One day, I did a very bad dad thing and I lost my temper. And I was on the back porch convincing God that I was completely justified in what I had said, (laughs) but feeling really, really bad about it. And God spoke to me and he said, your song has changed over them, but my song never changes over you. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me and there's nothing I can do to change it. It's powerful that he's so constant, that he never gives up on us. If you're sitting here today and you think the things that you've done wrong has made God love you less, you couldn't be further from the truth. I'm here to tell you that he loves you with every breath that you'll ever take. From the moment you were thought of to the very last breath you take, God will love you with an undying, never-ending, unmatched love. permanent, unchanging, everlasting. The thing is, is I'm so happy that my goodness can't win God's love because that also means that my badness can't lose it. While others will love you and abandon you, they'll just walk away at the very moment it gets difficult. God will never abandon you. And maybe it is that nobody's told you that. Maybe it is that you heard it, but you didn't experience it. Maybe you have selective hearing. And I just want to remind you that God's love is so constant that there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Nothing. Everybody say that. Just say it. Nothing. And think about that for a second. That's freeing. It's amazing. And this is what leads me to the third point. John really talks about here. The third thing he thinks that he would tell us about, I think if he were here, he'd tell us about God's love. And that is this. God's love gives us confidence. Confidence. Come on, look at the person next to you with confidence. Say, God loves me. Okay, so that was a perfect picture of what it sounds like when there's no confidence, okay? So turn to the person next to you. Now really say, God loves me. Uh, That was pretty good. 830 did better, okay? I just want to admit. Because the truth is, is that it can give you such confidence when you really truly understand that God loves you. Listen to what he says here in 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. 
and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. This is what John was saying. I recognize that when I got this, when I truly figured out that God loves me and I was not swayed by my own love problems, but I was really truly knew that God loves me, it, it gave me such confidence. And think about it. If you were certain that God loves you, you wouldn't worry about money, right? I mean, because God's going to provide for someone that he loves. I mean, so worry wouldn't be a part of your everyday life. I mean, if you're really certain that God loves you, you'd never entertain guilt or shame, right? Because his grace is sufficient for you and I. I mean, if you were certain that God loves you, would you really care what other people think? Would you really care if they, you know, judge you or talk bad about you? I mean, really, because if God is for you, who can be against you? Right, I think that you need to let it sink in so much that it changes the way that you refer to yourself, just like John did. John, you know, called himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. I think that you should, you should grasp that. I mean, get a business card and, you know, it says your name, the one God loves, right underneath it. That, that would be the thing. I, you should lead with that. I mean, change your profile at Facebook if you want to, you know, the one Jesus loves. I mean, there'd be a bunch of copies. So you'd be like, the one Jesus loves, one, three, five, seven, four, or whatever, you know. <laughs> there would be a bunch of those. Uh, you know, you go to a coffee shop. I mean, I go to Starbucks all the time. You probably have your own coffee shop. And I shouldn't go. I've confessed it. And I believe that he's forgiven me. So I go every day. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you get a, you know, on the cup, they'll ask you what your name is. And I think you should write the one Jesus loves on the cup. Because I think it would be so cool for the guy to stand up and be like, peppermint mocha, two shots of espresso for the one Jesus loves. <laughs> and then you'd be like, oh, oh, that's mine. That's mine. I, I just think that John had it right. When you understand God loves you, it changes everything about you. It changes everything about your identity. Nothing can stay the same in that moment. I want to close by telling you a story a pastor told me. And that he was in college and he had decided that he was uh, so on fire for God and he, had, and he got such a grasp on God's love that he wanted to share it with everybody. So he went to this bar and he sat down next to the guy who, you know, asked the bar who's been here the longest and the guys, you know, deep into drinking that night. And he sat right beside him and waited for the opportune moment to come to a conversation. And he said, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I just wanted to, you know, tell you that God loves you. And, the, and the, the drunk looked at him like, what are you, crazy? Leave me alone, you know. So he was a little discouraged, but he kept it up. And a few minutes later, you know, he said, hey, man, I, I don't want to bother you, but can I tell you the story of, you know, my life and that God loves you? And I just want, I came here tonight really on purpose just to tell you that. And the guy, you know, blew him off again a few more times. And finally, the drunk started getting mad at him. He's like, leave me alone, you know. Uh, you don't know what I've been through. And, and, and the guy kept, the pastor kept pushing. And so finally, the drunk got extremely mad. And he emotionally said, listen, God does not love me. You don't know what I have done. You don't know anything about me. God could not love me. He's adamant. He doesn't love anybody like me because I'm not good enough. The pastor sat for a moment and he thought, man, this didn't go like I thought it would. He prayed and 
got a strange prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so he just, after a minute, he said, you know what, you're probably right. It was a mistake for me to come here tonight. I, I was just so excited. And, but you're right. I mean, he probably doesn't love you. It was silent for a minute. And the man pushed the drink aside. And he said, well, he might love me. The pastor's like, no, 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 listen, I, I really do. I mean, you're probably right. God loves everybody else, but he doesn't love you. He, he doesn't love you. And, and I can see it now. I, what, what was I thinking? And the guy was like, hold on a second here. And he might love me. I mean, who, who are you to judge me, right? And the pastor pushed back a little bit and he said, no, I'm serious here. I was just telling you how I feel about it. And the, and the drunk pushed right back and they kept going back and forth, got to the point that Drunk pushes stool back, stands up, and he goes, no, you know what? God does love me. And he was so adamant to this pastor that God loves him that he led himself to Jesus standing at that bar. I'm here to tell you today that I believe some of you are under the influence of guilt and shame and doubt. And what you need is what this guy discovered that when you realize God loves you, it changes the whole way you see yourself. It changes everything you think about yourself. It gives you a confidence. And if you will let him, God will love the fear, the guilt, the doubt, the pain, everything that you've been hiding from everybody around you right out of you. And it'll change your whole opinion of what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Close your eyes if you will. God, All we stand here today, Father, and I know there's probably some people in this room that suffer like I do, with selective hearing. They may have heard it. They may have even heard it today. But God, that doesn't mean they've experienced it. Because when we truly experience you, we can't look at the cross without thinking what you have done. And when we truly know your love is for us, we know how constant it is, even when we're not constant, you are. When we truly are certain of your love, there's a confidence that rises up inside of us. It changes the whole way we see ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts today that have been trying to earn it for so long. You would help them see that there's nothing they can do to make you love them more to stop striving for that approval and start accepting the love of Jesus. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here today and you're wondering what I'm talking about because maybe you've been to church or maybe you haven't, but you've heard this relationship with Jesus thing, but truthfully, in your heart, you know you don't have that relationship. You haven't asked God to forgive you of your past sins. You haven't said, I want to have a relationship with you. And you're sitting here today and you know that you need Jesus. While everyone else is praying, I want to give you that opportunity. Don't leave today wondering if you're right with him, if you've given him the opportunity to be your Lord, to show you that love that he gave on the cross. If you're here today, just simply lift your hand. I want to see who I'm praying for. I see your hand. I see that hand. I see your hand in the middle there. I see your hand. Thank you. Over here on the right. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. Amen. 
I just want to pray a prayer with you if you're here today and and I know I'm not here usually, but I just want to I just want to give you this opportunity. If you raised your hand, I just want you to pray this in your heart. Dear Jesus, I need you. I can't go through life another day without you. Please forgive me. Please change my heart. Change my life. I invite you in and I accept you and your love for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who gave their heart to Jesus this morning? Amen. Thank you. Prayer team is coming forward. If you would like prayer, maybe you're suffering with that. You're struggling with fear and doubt, or you've been overwhelmed and you don't know why. While they sing this song, I invite you to come, get some prayer, agree with somebody that God loves you and he is for you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.